We're going to go ahead and jump into the message. We started a brand new message last week called The Final Week. We've been looking at and we're going to be looking at basically the last week of Jesus' earthly life. And we're going to actually go a little bit farther. Uh, the, the Sunday after Easter, we're going to kind of cover a couple of things that I think is important after the resurrection. But, but this is basically, as we talked about it last week, this is the most important week of the most important person who ever lived. I mean, this is, this is kind of the climax. This is Jesus came and we celebrate Christmas and the birth and, and we kind of look at his life and we have a little bit of his early childhood and then we, we basically don't get much until he's about 30 or 30 years old or about in that age group and, and then he begins his ministry. And then, so all this time it's been building up to this week. Last week we hit a lot of stuff. If you weren't here last week, I invite you to go online and watch last week's message because last week we hit Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. There was a lot of information that we went, went through. Uh, and so if you haven't had an opportunity to, to see that, I invite you to, to go to our website or YouTube or Facebook and all that sort of stuff and watch last week's message. But today we're going to focus on Thursday. And again, like I mentioned earlier, it's going to be a little bit different today. Uh, we're going to handle things a little bit differently, but I think that uh, the Lord has kind of led us to this, and I, I'm, I'm very excited about what God is going to do. So today we're going to talk about Thursday. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to first be in Mark 14. Mark 14, starting with verse number 12 and going through 16. This is what it says. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, that's Thursday, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. Let's stop here for just a second, because for us, you know, it's, we just read this and go, okay, that's great, that's fine, no big deal. But this was something different, okay? Most of the time, if not almost all of the time, the job of carrying water was, was the woman's job, okay? So Jesus here is saying, listen, when you go into town, you're going to see something different. You're going to see something that you don't usually see, which is a man carrying the water, okay? So this is a major sign to them. This is, not, this is basically, oh my goodness, this is something different and something they weren't expecting. So Jesus says, look for this man who's got some water. Follow him. He says, at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal there. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for this time. Father, as we look at these things, Father, I pray that you would just open our hearts. Father, I know that maybe for some, this is, this is information they maybe have heard before. Father, I, for others, it may be completely new. But Father, no matter where we are at in our journey with you, Father, I pray through your, that your Holy Spirit would just illuminate something to us. Because what we're going to talk about, Father, this morning is so important. And so, God, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our, our souls to accept the things that you desire to show us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Most of you know this about me, but man, I, I really like holidays. I love Christmas, love Thanksgiving. Um, some of you know this, some of you may not. Our, my, my, my birthday and Easton's birthday is the 4th of July. And, and so, you know, holidays are very big at our house for, for many, many different reasons. And one of the things I love about holidays is the traditions that start and the memories that come and, and the things you see and the things you smell and the things you experience. Like for me, my birthday is constantly like, like, like especially with smells, you know? Like, you know, you, you have that smells like, oh, that smells like Christmas or, or that smells like Thanksgiving. For me, like my birthday always has the smell of of like like fireworks and black powdery smells because I've always set off fireworks and always experienced that and, and, and usually we would have a grill out and things like that. So like hamburgers and hot dogs, all these things are a part of those memories that we experience. It's one of the things that we love about holidays. Most of us do because of that. We, we experience these things and these memories and these things begin to happen. Today what we're going to talk about is something that for Jewish people today and back in the time of Jesus and even before, they had those same memories. They had those same experiences. And it's the, the, the meal of Passover. It's the celebration of Passover. And here's the thing. Jesus and his disciples would have celebrated this and did celebrate it. But we need to look at it a little bit deeper. On Thursday, one of the major things that takes place is what we call the Last Supper. The Last Supper is this Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples experienced together. Now, here's the thing. If we went through everything that went on at the Last Supper, from everything in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we would literally have a series that would take us to the fall. There was so much that happened. So many things. And so in some ways, we, we, we're going to kind of give it an aerial view. We're going to kind of give it a 30,000 foot look. But here's the thing. When you talk about Passover and you talk about, in, especially in the time of Jesus, they had particular traditions and they had particular smells and they had particular things that they did. They had certain things that every year the same questions were asked. Every year, the same things would happen. And one of them is basically the youngest individual at this meal, or, or basically the lowest individual. So usually it was the, first, or the last born son, basically, that was there, would ask this question. Why is this night different from all the other nights? He asks other, other questions, too. It's about, why are we eating unleavened bread? Why are we eating bitter herbs? He, but basically, the concept is the same. Why is this night, why is this meal, why is this moment important and different? Well, in that moment, the eldest individual, usually the father, obviously, the patriarch of that family, would stand up, and he would begin to tell the story of Passover. He would begin to share why they're experiencing this moment. He would say something like this, many, many years ago. In fact, as I was looking through kind of the last couple of weeks studying about this, there's a lot of theologians that believe that Jesus and his Passover with his disciples was the 1,440th Passover that had ever been celebrated. Now, how they came over that number, I don't know. It has to do with math, and I ain't touching it, Okay. But for over a thousand years, the Jewish people had been celebrating this. And that question has been asked over and over and over. It's still even asked today. And so basically the, the, the individual, the eldest, the patriarch would stand up 
And he would begin to tell the story of Abraham. And how God had promised Abraham that one day he, he said, go outside. I love this story. He said, go outside and look at the stars in the sky. He said, your descendants will be greater than the stars in the sky. And remember, at this point in time, when this promise is given to him, he has no kids. He has no heir. He has nothing. But yet God has taken him out and said, look out and see this promise. From Abraham, we have, he has a son. His name is Isaac. And from Isaac, we have another son, which is Jacob. And Jacob has some kids as well. And one of those kids is a, is a young man named Joseph. And Joseph, man, he is, he is an awesome individual with, got, with some serious character flaws. So basically, he's like all of us. And he begins to have these dreams. And, and he begins to share these dreams with his older brothers. And his older brothers say, man, who, who do you think you are, man? Like, like you're gonna, we're going to bow down to you? I mean, it's one of these dreams he has. He's like, oh yeah, this is going to be great. So just like as you would expect older brothers to do, they take their younger brother and throw in a pit. I, was, I am an older brother. Although I never threw my younger brother in a pit, I did think about it at times. So they throw him in a pit. They're going to kill him. Instead, they sell him into slavery. He goes into Egypt, but God is with him. He's brought to a man named Potiphar's house. And he does the right thing. He does the God-honoring thing. And yet he's thrown into prison. And there he sits for years. When finally Pharaoh begins to have dreams. And one of the individuals that was in prison at one point goes to Pharaoh and says, Listen, there's a man in prison who could tell you what your dreams mean. Pharaoh calls Joseph. In one day, he goes from the pit, he goes from the prison into the palace, and there he's standing in front of the most powerful man in the world. And Pharaoh tells him his dream, and basically he interprets the dream. He says, listen, in seven, for seven years, you're going to have a bumper crop. You're going to have a great harvest. But after that, seven years after, you're going to have a famine. He says, store it up now. Prepare now. Pharaoh says, who, who among us? hears from God like this man hears from God. And he becomes the second in charge in all of Egypt. Well, just like he told Pharaoh, they have seven great years and then seven hard years, and people are dying, people are starving. But yet Egypt, because of Joseph, because of God using him, they have food. Well, guess who shows up? Knocking on the door. All of his brothers. All of his brothers come. And instead of taking them all out, instead of saying, how dare you do that to me? Instead of all those things, he helps them. He saves them. He brings his entire family. And they live in Egypt for hundreds and hundreds of years. Things are going great. But eventually, a pharaoh comes into power that doesn't remember Joseph doesn't remember what he's done and he puts the people into slavery and they begin to spend many, many, many centuries in slavery and they're crying out to God and they're saying, God, don't you remember us? God, don't you see us? God, why aren't you there? Where are you? You know, they have some of the same questions that sometimes we have in life. Well, finally, when the moment was right, God brings Moses. Moses even responds to things the way he shouldn't and he, he runs and he, he but God still speaks to him and says listen I want you to go back to Pharaoh I want you to speak to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him that you need to let 
my people go. Pharaoh refuses. And then God does something amazing, and I'm going to put it in a different light, a light that, that I kind of feel like I, I never eat from, for myself, and I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but something I never saw before. God, in his loving graciousness, sends plagues. Now, I don't know, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone call the plagues loving and gracious before, but I just did. And I'll tell you why. This is God we're talking about. God doesn't need Pharaoh's permission to release his people. Do you understand that? God could say, guess what, Pharaoh? You're letting my people go because I'm wiping you all out. God goes, hey, look, Egyptians, aren't they cute? <laughs> Gone. But he doesn't. He sends plagues. He sends things to help Pharaoh understand who's in charge and who isn't. And unfortunately, even though God in his loving kindness sends these plagues, he still won't let the people go. So finally, God says, enough is enough. I have tried to get you to do what I want you to do. Now, there are going to be some consequences. You see, Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. That's a very clear thing. You see, Pharaoh, in his rebellion, in his pride, in his cruelty, in his, his refusal to allow God to, to be in charge, he sinned, and he sinned greatly. And you know what? The wages for that, for him and for every one of us, is death. Every single one of us have failed. We have rebelled. We have basically said, God, I don't need you. God, you're not important. I want to do it on my own. I'm in charge. And the Bible teaches us at that moment, the payment for that type of living, the payment for that type of activity is death. And so God begins to speak and he says the tenth plague is going to be a little bit greater. We'll read about it in just a second. But in God's loving kindness, he makes a way. He makes a way. Look at Exodus 12. In Exodus 12, 3 through 5, this is what we see. It says, announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for sacrifice. One animal for every household. If a family is too small to eat the whole animal, let them share with a family in the neighborhood. Verse number five. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. And this is important. The animal you select must be one year old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. So in this story, God has said, listen, the wages of sin is death. What God has said, and we'll look at it in just a minute, is that basically he's going to go through the land and every firstborn of animals and of men he will kill. Now I know that that is not always easy to hear. 
We, we, we tend to want to look at God, and, and, and we should, please don't misunderstand me, as loving and as gracious and as patient. That's how he describes himself. But listen, folks, you need to understand something, and this needs to be preached more, I'm afraid. Our God is a God of justice. Our God is a fierce God. Our God will put up with things for so long but the payment for sin is still the same. It's still death. But yet God begins to say, listen, I will make a way. Let's continue now. Exodus 12, look at verse 6 and 7. It says this, Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of their houses where they eat the animal. Where they eat the animal. Again, we're going to read it in a second, but they know what's coming. They know what the payment will be. And so in this, we see this act of faith. We see this, act, I, mean, I mean, think about it for a second. I mean, God, who you have seen do amazing signs and wonders over the last couple of weeks. I mean, all of a sudden, the Nile turns to blood. All of a sudden, it's completely pitch dark in Egypt. All of a sudden, there are flies, and there are gnats, and there are frogs, and there is all these things. I mean, you have seen God's power displayed in an unbelievable way. And now you hear, oh, listen, I'm going to go through, and I'm killing everything. I don't know about you. I'm the oldest son. I would be very concerned at this moment. But God says, listen, I want you to do this. If you'll do this, you'll be okay. You'll be safe. I'll provide a way. I, I, I can't imagine the type of faith that it took to do that. You see, here's the thing. and I, I, this, is, this is important that we understand. In the Bible, we see faith as sometimes an inward conviction and other times as an outward action. Get what I mean? Sometimes we, yes, Lord, I have faith. I believe. You know, we have that in our heart and in our mind and our spirit. I believe that you're going to do that. And other times faith is action. Other times faith is taking that step and saying, listen, I don't always understand, God, what you're doing or why. But if you say to be safe, if you say to be saved, if you say to do this and it's to take this lamb, I'm going to do it. Unfortunately, sometimes in our hearts, we have that faith that says, yes, I believe. And then God says, good, then get out of the boat and walk on the water. And we say, oh, no, 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 no. That's a whole different ball of wax, isn't it? Well, for them, they chose to take this lamb and they chose to put it on their door frames. Look at Hebrews 9.22. It says, in fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So we see this pattern. We see what God is beginning to do. So now we look in Exodus again. Now we see a little bit deeper about what God is going to do. Exodus 12, 12. And this is what it says. On that night, this is God speaking, I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will ex execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt for I am the Lord. Man. God's not messing around. 
Why? Because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But thank the Lord. Let's look at Exodus 12, 13, the very next verse. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. So here's God, his way. He says, listen, I'm passing through. I'm going through. But if I see the blood. Now notice what he doesn't say. We've talked about this before. He doesn't say, I'm looking for good people. He doesn't say, I'm looking for perfect people. He doesn't say, I'm looking for people that, that do this or do that or sing really pretty or don't sing really pretty or, or this height or this height. He doesn't say any of that. He's looking for one thing. He's looking for the blood. He's looking for the blood of that lamb. Because he says it will be a sign. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I will pass over you. And the death will be passed over. Isn't it amazing that we see this story and it's celebrated over and over again. We're going to look a little bit deeper in just a minute, but here's the thing. Here's what we need to remember. Look at John 1.29. John the Baptist got it. He understood. Even though he didn't understand it all, he understood this. Very early in, in Jesus' ministry, this is what it says. The next day, John, that's John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We didn't plan it, but isn't it interesting that this morning, what did we sing? I am washed by the blood of the Lamb. Look, I understand people, they walk into churches and there's kind of a lingo and there's kind of this thing. And one of the weird things that we talk about is this idea of, of blood and of the lamb. And who's the lamb? What is blood? Remember, we looked at Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so John, as, he's, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, he looks out and he sees it and he realizes who he is. He says, listen, this isn't a conquering king. This isn't someone who's going to set up this earthly reign, at least not right now. This is not this guy. What this guy is, who this guy really is, is he is this lamb that's going to be slain. It's a title that Jesus embraces because he knows who he is. Now let's continue on with Thursday. Let's look together at Luke 22. Let's pick up the story. Luke 22, verse number 14. It says, when the time came, Jesus and his apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. We're going to go through all this scripture. And then I'm going to kind of take 
backtrack and, and, and highlight a couple things, okay? It says, then he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Remember, we talked about this idea of what a Passover meal was and, and, and some of the things that were said, some of the things that would happen. In a Passover meal at this time, there were four cups, four cups of wine. They, they, they literally called, in the Jewish tradition, they really called them all one cup. But there were four different cups that basically, or at least four different times that individuals that were celebrating this meal would drink from this cup. And the, the, these cups were called the cups of salvations. Isn't that interesting? The cups of salvations. And, and throughout this meal, they would, they would take moments and they would drink and they would say certain things and they would, they would communicate scripture and they would look. And so that's why we see in this story where Jesus takes a cup earlier and then they begin to basically eat the meal and then he takes another cup. We believe that that's the third cup. That's actually called the cup of thanksgiving because of some of the things that were said afterwards. So Jesus here is taking his disciples through this. He's taking them through this meal. And at this, in, in this meal, there was a point where, where basically the patriarch, the individual would stand up and he would have this, this bread, this unleavened bread, which symbolized sinlessness and all these things. And he would begin to break the bread. It was called the bread of affliction. And he would begin to break it and begin to talk about their suffering and their pain and their slavery and begin to pass it out to remind them. They would have bitter herbs and they would eat these things to help them remember the bitterness and the suffering of Egypt. And so Jesus comes in and he begins to do some of these things. But instead of saying, listen, I want you to remember these things, he says, I want you to remember something different. You see, when they would celebrate the Passover. It was a celebration of freedom. It was a celebration of getting away from slavery in Egypt. But here is the thing that you and I need to understand. Even though those people had freedom physically, in a lot of ways, spiritually, they were still in bondage. They were still in prison. They were still dealing with sin and the effects of sin. And Jesus comes and he begins to break the bread and begins to hand out the wine. He says, listen, I'm going to change things up a little bit. Instead of seeing your suffering, instead of seeing your slavery, instead of seeing those things, you're going to now turn and you're going to remember me. Why? Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. When we celebrate communion, when we celebrate this moment, when we do these things in remembrance of him, we are now celebrating not just our freedom in a physical sense of the way, but our spiritual freedom. Not just our, 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 our freedom from, from the spiritual uh, uh, death, but, but the freedom to get the spiritual life that only Jesus can give to us. So Jesus comes and he begins to do these things. He doesn't come in and say, no, we're not using bread anymore. No, we're not using wine anymore. Instead, he takes it and says, listen, there was a time, there was a place where this was good. This was important. We needed to do this. But now I'm going to take it and I'm going to turn it. And instead of focusing in on freedom from slavery, 
Now I'm going to do something to bring you freedom from sin. Something much greater. Something much more lasting and life-changing. Look, it's in your notes. Jesus did, didn't give the normal explanation of the meanings of each of these foods. He reinterpreted them in himself. And the focus was no longer on the suffering of Israel and Egypt, but on the sin-bearing suffering of Jesus on their behalf. So in this moment, Jesus changes things. You know what I've learned about Jesus? Whenever Jesus enters the scene, things change. Thank goodness. And here's the thing. Sometimes we, we, we tend to put Jesus in, in kind of this marble man statue. Can you imagine? And, and we see it in other, other gospels. What must have been going on in Jesus' mind? He knows who he is. He knows that this Passover, a different lamb is going to be slain. And he is that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Jesus was thinking in these moments as he brings his disciples close for one last meal? John, if you want to come on up. Like I mentioned earlier, we're going to take communion together. So if you haven't had a chance to grab some, there's some up here, and please, please grab some. We're going to look together at a portion of Scripture, 1 Corinthians, in just a moment. And we're going we're gonna to look at these things together. We're going to take communion a little bit differently um, than we have in the past. But again, I want to make sure everybody has some. And then we're going to take communion together. John's going to come and just play some, something quietly. We're going to look into 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he begins to talk about communion. He begins to talk about some very important things. And so we're going to look at this together before we take communion. So 1 Corinthians 11. 23 through 26, this is what it says. Paul speaking, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Many of us, we've heard that, we've taken communion, but, but this morning as we as we do things a little bit differently, as we work this communion into the message, into to what I believe God wants us to see and, and do in this moment, 
we need to continue because Paul doesn't stop at verse 26. He continues on with verse 27. So let's look at that together. 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 32 says this, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This is serious. We're going to see in a moment how serious this is. This is important. Paul's not messing around. He says, that is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Usually not what we read when we take communion. <laughs> but this is just as biblically true as John 3.16, folks. We're going to keep reading and we'll come back, okay? So just hold on, okay? Let's continue on in verse 31. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Thank goodness. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. There's a fallacy that comes from this scripture, which basically says, oh, if I've messed up or if I've sinned, I shouldn't take communion. That is not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that all of us, I mean, if that was the case, let's be honest, who among us would take communion? What Paul is communicating in this moment is that before we do, we need to examine our hearts. We need to examine our lives. It's not don't take communion. It's get it right before you take communion. So that's what we're going to do. This is a serious moment. This is an important moment. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He made a way where there was no other way. I had somebody ask me once, if, we, if, this, if the kind of Last Supper is about Passover, why don't, why don't we eat lamb? It was a seven-year-old boy. I was like... Yes, you know, it's like me and you, we're going to have a lot of good talks when you get into the youth group. I mean, and we did too. And I got to sit him down. I said, son, there's a reason we don't have lamb anymore when we have our communion. I said, because we've already had our Passover lamb. He came and he died once and for all. So instead, we celebrate with wine and we celebrate with, with bread to remember his blood and his body. But the lamb has already been slain. And so we can celebrate and remember all that he has done. But we do it. We do it. We examine first. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take about 30 seconds or so. What? And I'm just going to ask every single one of us, myself included, that we just examine our hearts. 
And then I'm going to pray over you and with you, and then we're going to take communion. But please, for the next 30 seconds, let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Examine your life before we take communion together. So, Father, we come before you as a family and as individuals. And, Father, before we take communion, Father, we ask that you would search our heart. Father, if there is found in us anything that is contrary to you, contrary to what you have led us in your word to understand, then, Father, I pray that you would just forgive us. Father, I pray that you would cleanse us again. And Father, we know that if we come and we ask forgiveness, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So Father, if we have accepted you, Father, if we have prayed that prayer of forgiveness, if we have examined our heart, we know that in this moment we can remember you the way you want us to. So Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. The night that Jesus was betrayed, Thursday night, Jesus met one last time with his disciples for the Passover meal. And throughout that evening of, of prayers, songs, wine and bread and all the smells and feelings that had come from 1,400 years of remembering the exodus from Egypt, Jesus, you stood. And you took that bread of the affliction. And you began to break it. And you blessed it. And you began to pass it out. And you said, no, it's different now. I'm coming to do a new thing. I'm coming to do something that you never saw coming. Something that you didn't even know you needed. And he began to break the bread and hand it out. And he said, I want you to take this bread and eat this bread. This bread, you will now and not remember the affliction. Now you will remember my body that will be broken for you. Let's take the bread together. Then the Bible says that after supper, after their meal, Jesus took a cup. As we heard and remember this morning, that cup was called the cup of thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but I don't know if there's anything that I'm more thankful for than what Jesus did for me. He took the cup. He blessed it. 
and began to pass it to his disciples to take this cup and drink it. This cup represents my blood that'll be shed for you. This cup. You see, when they would celebrate Passover before, they were celebrating in some ways the old covenant. The old way. As we talked a little bit about last week, Jesus came to do a new thing. He came to make a new covenant and a new promise with us. But as we've talked about in the past, a covenant is a promise sealed with blood. You see, the new covenant without the blood of Jesus didn't hold any weight. It wouldn't have been enough. But Jesus said, this new covenant, this new promise, I'll seal it with my blood. And so he said this cup, the contents in it, the wine in it represents my blood. That'll be shed for you. Let's take the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. So Jesus, right now we remember. We remember what you have done. As we look at your life this last week, in some ways, Thursday is kind of the, like the last moment before things rapidly begin to spin. But God, you take that moment say, listen, I'm going to institute something new. So today, when we take communion, when we take the bread and the cup, we celebrate not our freedom from an earthly foe. We celebrate our spiritual freedom from sin, and from death you have made a way where there has been before no other way and so we celebrate this morning you're so good you're so good you're so good after the cups were taken as they celebrated Passover. The Bible records, and, and also this is a, would be a tradition in the Passover meal, they would sing, they would worship. So before we, we conclude, John, can we do um, I'm Washed? We're just, let's just sing that chorus together, okay? So let's all, let's all stand. Let's finish our our communion time with worship. We're just going to sing this chorus and then we'll come back and we'll close in prayer. Thank you, Jesus.
funny word, isn't it? Like when I know I haven't done anything wrong, innocence doesn't have the same zip <laughs> importance as when I know I'm guilty. I'm guilty. The wages of my sin were death just like everybody else's. But when we accept Jesus, when we say, you know what, Father, I, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that He died and rose again. I believe that He is Lord and King of my life. I need that forgiveness. When we do that, we're just applying the blood to our hearts instead of a door frame. And one day, for you and for me, for every individual that ever has or will live, God's going to come. We're going to stand before him one day. And in that moment, it's not going to matter how much money you had. It's not going to matter how how good your kids were in sports. It's not going to matter if you, were, if you were the president of the company or the lowest rung. It's not going to matter. He's going to look for one thing and one thing only. He's going to look for that blood. And if he sees that blood, death, is going to pass over us, not in a physical sense necessarily, but in a spiritual one. And so this morning, whether you're here or you're online and you have never, you have never allowed that to take place. You maybe, maybe you're just kind of trying to figure things out and, and maybe you're kind of like, man, man, this, this, this God, man, he, he can be kind of serious. He, he's, he's kind of ferocious at times. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, he is but he's good and he made a way but we got to accept it as an act of faith we have to be willing to apply the blood and when we do that we can celebrate Passover too although we don't celebrate the same type we celebrate our spiritual life, our everlasting life 
that Jesus came to give us. So, Father, we come to you right now. And Father, if there's anyone here who has not accepted you, if there's anyone online that's not accepted you, Father, I pray that even right now they begin to pray that prayer that says, Father, Father, I, I know you love me. Father, I believe that Jesus, that your son, he was your son. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose on the third day. I believe he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And Father, I accept his grace and his forgiveness. And I now know that I've been made new that I have applied that blood. And now, even though before the wages of my sin was death, I now know that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, my Lord. You're so good. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, thanks so much for being here. Those that are online, man, we love you. We miss you. We hope to see you soon. For everybody else, remember, we're going to go have lunch together, have some fellowship time at Jason's Deli. I hope that you'll be able to join us. Remember to grab your peeps as you head out. Give these out. We got plenty of them. Don't feel like we don't. We got plenty in my office still. Grab them, hand them out so that we can share this amazing good news with everybody this Easter season. Love you. Have a great week.